0: This sermon, It's Not About Your Marriage, was preached on Sunday, October 8th by Pastor Derek Overstreet at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. Good morning, everybody. Open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5. Am I on? Am I good? Okay, excellent. Ephesians 5. We continue our series, The Final Word, and the next two weeks we're going to be talking about marriage. Um, we're going to limit ourselves to, I don't know why I'm, I'm in Zephaniah, that, that might be a problem. <laughs> um, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 30. We're going to read, we're going to read together in just a moment, 22 through 33, and if, you're, if, you, if you caught that I, if you caught what I said our text was today, and you realize, oh, you mean we're not going to talk about the mystery of the church, the mystery of the gospel being expressed in Christ and his bride, no, we're not going to talk about that that verse this morning, uh, that's really a summary verse that Paul adds to wrap up his instruction to wives and to husbands. And so we're going to save that for next week. Uh, we will end there and what that uh, means and what that looks like after we've been able to talk about both husbands and wives. So stand with me. Again, we're going to read beginning of verse 22, but we're going to focus on verse 25 through 30. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit now, that we might listen and learn And love your word of truth, particularly this morning as it applies to the role of husbands. Father, this is a tall task for a preacher, particularly a preacher who is married. So I pray that you would be merciful and gracious to me that with the rest of the gathering I could and we could all look to our great Lord and Savior for our help and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago, uh, when we lived up in the Phoenix area, we, we, my wife and I both got saved in our church that's now in Gilbert, Arizona. So we got saved in a Sovereign Grace church. And I can remember early on, Donna... Uh, had been a believer for a few months, and I was not a believer. Uh, She was going to church alone, and somehow she had convinced me to go with her and sit down with one of the pastors there. His name was Pastor Rich Phelan, a wonderful guy. He's retired, uh, no longer in the ministry, uh, but certainly the Lord used him early on in our lives. And at the time, our marriage was well, our marriage was an absolute mess, to be honest. And so Donna had convinced me to, to come and sit down with her and this pastor for some counseling. So we did. I can, re- I can remember it vividly. Uh, he had this small love seat directly across from his desk, and he brought Donna and I in. We sat down on the love seat. He sat down across from us, and he said, well, here's the deal. <laughs> He said, I'm not sure how much I can help you unless you're willing to make Christ the center of everything. So I looked at him. I looked at Donna. I looked back up at Rich. And I said, well, then I'm done. And I got up and I walked out, leaving my wife there with the pastor Mortified, no doubt. I don't remember the conversation on the ride home, but I'm sure it wasn't a good conversation. Well, in the mercy of the Lord, the, the, the time marches on and he captured my heart. But you know, I share that, you'll know why I share that story with you in just a moment. But we've spent the last two Sundays in Genesis 2 learning that marriage is designed by God to be a lifelong commitment between a man who lovingly leads his wife and a woman who joyfully follows her husband as his helpmate. We've also learned that, that sin makes that hard. Sin makes that difficult according to Genesis 3.16. Instead of leading in love, the husband's inclination now is to dominate his wife. Instead of joyfully submitting as a helpmate, the wife now has the inclination and desire to rule over her husband, if you will, to, to stand in his place versus coming alongside of him. And the The result is, well, we can predict it, a sky-high divorce rate today, adultery as the norm, crushing spousal abuse, and lovers turned to roommates. And that's just in the church. (laughs) That's just in the church today. We're not even going to look at the culture today because the church itself is a big enough mess and understanding even Ephesians 5. And so what's the answer? What is the answer to all the chaos when it comes to marriage and understanding our roles? Well, to the unspoken point of Pastor Rich, we have to get our eyes off the latest five steps to a better marriage. We have to get our eyes off of love languages. We have to get our eyes off of romantic idealism. We have to get our eyes off, of, off the idol of self-fulfillment and get them back on Jesus. Get them back on Jesus. I, I, I have three books here. My favorite three books on marriage. You've come to me and say, hey, what should I read from a marriage? This is where it begins. I know there's a lot of good books. These are the best, in my opinion. Uh, Love That Last by Gary and Betsy Ricucci. Uh, they have served, he served as a pastor for years in Sovereign Grace Churches. Dave Harvey's When Sinners Say I Do. And of course, this book that I'll be quoting from today, Loving Your Wife as Christ Loves the Church by Larry McCall. This one for husbands in particular. Um, Each one of these books, what I love about each one of these books is that they do just what I said. The overarching message in each one of these books is very clear marriage is vertical before it's horizontal. It's about you as a wife or a husband, this morning as a husband, and Jesus more than it's about you and your wife. Your marriage is ultimately about the gospel as we will see clearly next week according to verse 32. Marriage is simply a relational context to be a living parable for Christ and the church, to be a living parable for the gospel. Quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones from Larry McCall's book, uh, Loving Your Wife, he says, makes this observation. He says, we must start when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to being a husband, we must start by studying the relationship between Christ and the church. And then, and then only can we look at the relationship between the husband and wife. So that's our goal over the next two weeks, beginning with husbands this morning. That's our goal, is to do a study, if you will, on Christ. Not a study on what the culture says about our marriage. Not a study on your example as a child growing up. But a study on the perfect husband of the church, if you will, Jesus Christ. And I just want to say right up front, as husbands, we all have a long way to go. But be encouraged. Here's the good news. Being a husband, being a God-exalting husband, is not about how far we have come, or you need to come. It's about how far Jesus went to enable, empower, and ensure that though imperfectly, we can be God-exalting pastors. That's why growing, growing as a husband begins with studying the church's husband, the perfect husband, Jesus Christ. Now, if, before we dig into this, if you're not a husband, okay? Okay you do not have permission to check out this morning, okay? If you are a wife... You need to know this because you are your husband's helpmate to come alongside of him and help him see these glorious truths in Ephesians 5 and trust the Lord and and know what they look like to live out with you. You are his helpmate and there is no greater way that you can be his helpmate than helping him to be a Christ-exalting husband. Kids, I know marriage seems a long ways away, but guess what? in an appropriate way and in your own way, you need to hear this. You need to know this because you you need to be able to encourage your father when you see God's grace in these ways in his life. You need to know how to pray for your father. If you're a single man, Lord willing, marriage is in the picture and you will be a husband. And so just consider yourself Uh, auditing a class, if you will. You need to get ready. You need to prepare. The time to understand what a Christ-exalting husband is, is not after your honeymoon. It's before your honeymoon. If you're a single lady longing for a husband one day, listen, you need to listen to what this text says, because you do not want to settle. You need to know what to look for in a man. You need to know what to expect in a man. And so this, this is for everybody today, though directed to husbands. So let's look at our text. Two points this morning. A sacrificial love and a purposeful love. The sacrificial love is clear right up front. Notice verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The foremost text on being a Christ-exalting husband begins with a command to the husband. Husbands, love your wives. This is your holy duty as a husband. Husbands, this is our call. To love our wives. Pretty straightforward, right? Well, humility, humility needs to ask this question. What does that look like? What does loving my wife look like? Some will look to the example of their father. Some will look to their personal ideals. Still, some may look to the culture the pragmatist in this all will look to what works, what has worked, and what will work. what is, And typically that is, that is the path to least resistance with our wives. But did you notice in, the, in verse 25, we have this, this holy calling, this clear command to love our wives. But before we even have time to think about it, Paul says... Husbands, love your wives. Now, here's how you begin. Forget about yourself. (laughs) Forget about yourself. In fact, he calls us to look up. Get your eyes off of yourself and what I'm going to do or what I need to do. And he says, look up. Did you notice what he says there? Husbands, love your wives immediately as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so what we see immediately is that a husband's love for his wife is not culturally defined, experientially defined, or traditionally defined. It is Christologically defined. God wants your holy duty as husbands to be informed, motivated, and shaped by his son's love for sinners beginning with the cross. Gary Ricucci in his book, Love That Last, says, the role of a husband doesn't begin at the altar. It begins at the cross. It doesn't begin at the altar. It begins in the cross. And this could not be clearer in our text. Notice in verse 25 the phrase, he gave himself. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for That phrase, gave himself, qualifies the preceding term, love. This is what I mean by love. This is what I mean by Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up. Literally, that phrase is, he handed himself over. He handed himself over. Think about that. Jesus willingly and joyfully handed himself over to a fallen world, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Jesus willingly and joyfully handed, him, handed himself over to corrupt authorities and religious vipers that he could have destroyed in a word. Jesus willingly and joyfully handed himself over to the condemnation of men and the holy judgment of God, taking our sin upon himself and absorbing the wrath of God for that sin, though he was sinless and innocent. Jesus handed himself over. That's how he loves The church, that's how he loved individual sinners that make up the church. No one made Jesus do this. It's not something he deserved. Yet, he submitted himself to his Father's will. To the praise of his glory. He took the initiative. And he gave. Not simply what he had. But he gave himself up. Now, if that doesn't have all the husbands in this room shaking in their boots, then you are not listening. (laughs) If that doesn't have all the wives going, yeah, (laughs) then you are not listening. This is a good thing for wives. This is a good thing for husbands. But oh boy, is it ever hard for husbands But we see this. We see this in other parts of Scripture. Galatians 2 said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he, that is Jesus... Laid down his life for us. How do we know love? Jesus gave himself for us. That's 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 the gospel news right there. Jesus came and gave himself for us. Now listen, occasionally occasionally you'll you'll hear a story, a heroic story of the husband who literally Sacrifices his own life. Gives up his life literally for his wife. And Lord willing, God's providence will never visit any husband here in that way. The truth is, this idea of giving ourselves up after the model of Jesus Christ is really about daily sacrifice. Even in the little things. It's about dying daily to my, my desires of convenience, putting my wife ahead of my personal convenience. It's about dying daily to my comfort, to my sense of self-gratification. It's about, it's about putting my, putting to, to uh, sacrificing my, even for my own physical well-being, I had a T-shirt years ago. This was probably about the time Donna wanted me to go into counseling with Pastor Rich. But I wore it till I had holes in it. And I just wore it on one day of the year. Football, first day of football season. Had an old man sitting in his recliner. His wife was standing behind him over his shoulder. Big old flat screen, football, you know, and in the little bubble, it said... Honey, football season is about to start. What do you need from me? (laughs) Not the football game, football season. (laughs) In other words, I'm about to check out because I'm not giving up football, and I'll see you in four months. That's not the idea. That's not the idea. That's not the love that we see here. This love is about the daily sacrifice needed. To lovingly lead and protect and provide, nourish and cherish physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's about not allowing your wife to sacrifice more than you do. It's about not allowing her to carry the brunt so that you can coast. It's about giving up your life from the smallest thing to the biggest dream for her sake. For her good, just as Christ gave himself for us. This daily sacrifice involves a willingness to see your wife. A person that first that, that Peter 3:7 says is a co-heir in Christ as more important than yourself, as well as a readiness to, to lay down all you hold dear to care for her. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. This daily sacrifice is about living with my wife in an understanding way, 1 Peter 3, 7. Even when she refuses to do the same with me. This is what it means to give yourself away, husbands. Jesus held nothing back. He gave it all away. He left the perfect fellowship of the Trinity entered the, fall, the flow of fallen humanity for his church. He gave himself away. He died on a cross, leaving nothing undone, giving himself away to the point that he drew his last breath. And he didn't do that because we earned it. He didn't do that because of something that was compelling within us. And we don't lead and love our wives this way because they've earned it. If Jesus is our model, he didn't make us earn anything. He loved us when we were unlovable, Romans 5. And he continues to love us despite our unlovability so often. Larry McCall says, A husband who would love his wife as Christ also loved the church will begin by understanding that his love is a choice made in spite of, not because of, his wife's actions, attitudes, or appearance. This disposition is at the heart of biblical commentary, complementarian roles. Whatever we might say, complementarian roles look like practically in the home and in the church this is the disposition of heart that gives way to how we function with our wives. And it's a sacrificial love motivated by Jesus, the bridegroom himself. So, husbands, future husbands, your role doesn't begin with a ring at the altar, it begins with Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. You are called. I am called. We are called as husbands to give ourselves up for the good of our wives. Second, love isn't just a sacrificial love, but Paul goes on. It's a purposeful love. Notice in verse 26, it says, start back up in verse 25, and blameless. You, you've, we've all heard, and maybe you've used the, the saying, a happy wife makes a happy life, right? Well, okay, there is some truth in that, um, at least by experience, right? There is some truth to that. But listen, our, our call as husbands is not to be concerned with our wives' short-term happiness. We can make our wives happy for a moment. Let's do it, husbands. But our call is, goes far beyond that, Our call is for her long-term holiness and ever-increasing satisfaction and joy in Jesus. There's no greater way that we can lead our wives. That, That is our holy duty. And in this, we must be purposeful, just as Jesus was. Pay attention to the verbs in verse 26 and verse 27. Notice what it says in verse 26 that he might sanctify her, right? See that? Jesus gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify, or we might say that he might set her apart from this world to himself. His, his love for the church, his love for you, his love for us is drenched in his own blood that doesn't merely wash the sin away, but marks, <laughs> marks the church as belonging to him. As belonging to him. I remember I was with a guy and he had a tattoo on his forearm. It was a weird symbol. And I said, what is that? And he said, well, that's the symbol that... Um, the radical is Islamist that that's the symbol that you're a Christian. And so they'll they put that on people. They find out they're Christians. And I was like, Well, why do you have it on you? He says, It's my way, of saying, Come and get me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he was marked. I'm a Christian. We're marked by the blood of Jesus. He has sanctified us. He has set us apart and marked us with his very blood. I remember our kids growing up and I wanted to make sure they understood who their mom was. They would talk to her disrespectfully and I would just sit them down look at them and say, I realize that's your mom. That's reason enough not to talk to her that way. But before she's your mom, she's my wife and you will not talk to my wife in that way. In a sense, I would set her apart to be loved and respected by her children, not simply as their mother, but as my wife. In verse 26, again, we see not only does Christ sanctify us, but he he gave himself for the church, look look what it says, so that he might cleanse her in truth. The gospel, you know this, the gospel is a cleansing agent that cleanses us from all our sin, It is the Word of God that sanctifies in Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, 17. He proclaims this. It's what the Spirit uses to progressively make us holy as forgiven sinners. This is important because it's easy for me to lead my wife in a way that is leading her down the path of the ideal wife that I've always dreamed about. That's not my call. But my, my call, my call is is to bring her the word of God. If you will, to bathe her in the word of God that transforms her. To help her understand herself, her feelings, her emotions, her discouragements through the lens of truth. Not trying create a, build a, build a wife, wife. That's not my call. My call is to continually point her to her Lord and Savior, to continually bring the word to bear humbly and carefully and purposefully into her life. In verse 27, there's one more verb. Jesus gave himself up for the church so that he might present her in perfect splendor. This is the end game. There's coming the day. We sang about this morning. We will all be, we will all be gathered up with Christ as he establishes His his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, and we will be with our Lord and Savior. One day, as the bride of Christ, we will stand before God in brilliantly white garments of our Savior's righteousness. That's what Jesus did, that's how he loved his. Church, that's how he loves you and I, and he is purposeful in that. He is keeping us until that day through the Holy Spirit. He is interceding for us that that we will be kept for that day. He is interceding that his blood continues to cover our sins for that day so that he may present us as his beautiful bride before the throne of God above Christ's love for the church then is purposeful in achieving our salvation from beginning to end. Sanctifying and cleansing and presenting us before His Father. Listen, let's be clear. As husbands, we, we do not, we cannot sanctify and cleanse our wives of their sin. It's not us who presents our wives in splendor before the throne of God above. Jesus alone can and does and will do that. But husbands, we are called to lead and encourage and promote and spur them on in holiness. If you will, to... To live every day as they've all as, as the one that they have already become in Jesus Christ, you are in an earthly way, you are god 's primary instrument of grace in your wives' spiritual lives, and so we are to be purposeful in this we are to be purposeful in this calling. Philippians 2.5 says that we are to have the mind of Christ. Well, that includes how we sacrificially and purposefully lead and love our wives. I can't just be off riding my motorcycle all the time hoping Donna's growing in Jesus. I can't be disconnected from her. And her struggles I have to be purposeful to come alongside of her. Because while I can, never, I can never make her holy, I have been entrusted, again, to lead and encourage and promote her toward holiness. The Lord has said, I entrust this, this woman Donna to you. Now lead her and love her in my son Jesus Christ. Do all you can to help her see his sufficiency, and his strength for her life. Help her to see how much my son loves her and how committed I am to her. He didn't give any other man on the face of this earth that task. He gave it to me. He gave it to me. He gave it to you, husbands, for that wife sitting next to you. And he doesn't make mistakes. So you might feel the tension. You might feel, I don't know how to lead my wife. Well, maybe you don't, and get help. But that's not because God mismatched you. It's just because, well, first, you probably need to see Jesus more. You probably need to spend more time in Ephesians 5. That is what we are called to. We must be purposeful. I, I can be a very purposeful person. I, I, I just bought something on Amazon this week. And when I buy something on Amazon, I am a review geek. I read so many reviews it's almost nauseating. In fact, it just sometimes doesn't serve me. I'm pulling up the articles, top ten, top 10. I'm reading all the reviews and I'm purposeful. I want to make sure I'm getting the best deal. I want to make sure I'm buying something that that's going to do the, do the job. Too often I don't bring that purposefulness. I'll bring it I'll bring it to a item that's going to rust and be destroyed and stop working in six months but too often I don't bring that same purposefulness to someone who is going to live eternally with Jesus someone who the Lord has said here enjoy her be fruitful with her lead her love her too often, I'm, I lead my wife in a haphazard way. <laughs> I'm not thinking sacrifice. I'm not trying to understand her. I'm more about ex- my expedience, my convenience, than her good. I thought about this. We got that boy. When I, as, I'm, as I'm appealing to the husbands, love your wife, sacrifice your purpose, probably going to be sitting down in the front row going, oh, Really? <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be? (laughs) Listen, we are imperfect. I'm preaching to myself, and I've been preaching to myself all week long. There's a whole lot of preaching going on before I step behind this pulpit this morning. We are imperfect, but as imperfect as we are, our holy duty is to love our wives, men. To love our wives as Christ loved the church, and that means we must be uniquely and completely committed to their well-being, the physical, the emotional, and particularly the spiritual well-being of their souls. Now, listen, I love this. Paul Paul knows that we can never fully comprehend the love of Christ. He probably also realizes that his men were a little bit dense, and so he actually, he actually, uh, being the pastor, is he kind of puts his point in everyday terms we can relate to, right? Notice in verse twenty-eight, he says, he gives this grand theological, christological look to Jesus, this one, this perfect model that we have to look to. And then he says this: in the same way, husbands should love their wives, their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Um, Husbands, we know this standard, right? Hungry, I get hungry, I eat, I take care of myself. I get sick, I rest. I get cold, I get warm. I get wounded, I pamper myself. I get sick, I'm the biggest baby in the world. I want Donna to just wait on me, hand and foot. I get dirty, I clean myself. Instinctively, we treat ourselves pretty good. Instinctively, we like to utilize the idea of a mulligan... Often. Instinctively, we're pretty charitable toward ourselves. Instinctively, we treat ourselves pretty good. Wouldn't you agree? And so Paul, in one sense, there's more here to these verses, but, but in one sense, Paul just said, guys, here, here's the deal. Just love your wife the way you love yourself. Nobody hates themselves. Nobody hates Love your wife the way you love yourself. And I think the point is this. Husbands, well, the point is more than practical. Paul has more than practical. He has theology in mind here because he roots us. Did you notice in verse 29, he, he actually roots us in the inseparable union between Christ and his church. In one sense, he just says, guys, let me make this easy for you. Think about how you care for yourself. But then he says there's more to it than that. And he talks about this union. He goes on to say a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Two have become one flesh. Well, that's just modeled in the union that the church has in Christ Jesus. In other words, this isn't just a physical thing. Our union is spiritual. As we'll see next week, it's meant to point us further up and further in to the glories of Christ and his church and how he has loved her. We'll see more of that next week. But I think part of the, 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 the point here is that the moment you get married, men, you can't, you're, you're no longer an individual in the sense that all you have to do is think about yourself. You have become part of something bigger than yourself. In the same way that the, the moment somebody is saved, they become part of the church. They become part of eternity in an unfathomable and profound way. They have become bigger than what their life day in and day out holds in marriage. You, you become part of a union. You, you are now united with another human being created in the image of God. Your wife is part of you. So consider how you treat yourself. And when you love your wife, you love yourself. Don't, don't try and flip that. When I love myself, I love my wife. That is a bunch of ho- cultural hogwash, to use a term that's probably safe in church. Don't buy into it. We look to Jesus We look to Jesus, and to the degree that we are amazed and we love Christ is to the degree we will grow in loving our wives. Now listen, we can't appreciate how radically groundbreaking these words were for Paul. I mean, he is telling the men in the church, give yourself up, boys. It's what you're called to. In the first century, here's the truth. In the first century, here's the culture that they lived in. Men had few obligations toward their wife outside of providing food and a shelter. At the at in the first century, wives were they're women. And in the first century, women were looked down upon. What wives were called to do anything and everything that their husband desired for them to do? Women weren't even fit. They weren't even seen to be fit to stand in the court of law as a witness. Couldn't trust their word In every way, they they were rarely educated, and in every way they were unworthy of and inferior to their husbands. And yet, listen to what Paul says to these husbands. What's on display is not the courage of Paul. What's on display is the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The way we think. The way we feel. The way we live. As new creations in Christ. As Paul called us in Ephesians 4. We have a new world view. We have a new paradigm. We have a new lens to see life through. Beginning with our marriages. If you're a husband or a wife. And in particular this morning. A husband. You can't. You can't have a cultural or worldly perspective of your marriage. If you do, Paul would say to you what he said in Ephesians 4. You are no longer Gentiles. Your mind is no longer darkened. You cannot think that way and you cannot live that way. For you are a new creation and so stop living and thinking like the old man that you were and start living like the new man that you are in Christ Jesus. We, we, we need to take care, husbands. We need to be honest about where the culture creep has found its way into our thinking about our marriages and our homes, about how we view our wives, about what's important as a man. What's important as a man is not first and foremost making the big bucks. It's loving your wife in the way that Christ loved the church. Remember going to pastor's college. First day, day one, Jeff Perswell, the dean, said, Men, if you leave here and you get an A in class, but you slip, you go backwards on your marriage, you have failed. If you leave here with a C in class, but you grow in your marriage and your understanding and application of what it means to be a Christ exalting husband, then you might as well have gotten an A+. plus. It's that important. It's more important than anything else you have going. And I might ruffle some parents' feathers, but yes, even your parenting, it is more important. Your marriage is more important than your kids'. Thank God that the gospel changes everything. Now, I'm gonna point us to our hope in a minute if you're going sinking down in your chair. But first, a little bit of application. First, I've asked the community group leaders between now and the end of the year to take two meetings to do some reading in love that lasts on the husband's role and the wife's role. They're gonna ask you to do some reading. Do it. You will benefit from it. It will bear fruit in your life and in your marriage. And so we're going to have our community groups dedicating two groups to discussing the role of the husband and the role of the wife. But this morning, and these this morning I have some great redemptive questions. they do not mind Gary Ricucci, in his book, Love That Last. And They're going to be up here, but they'll also be on the sermon spotlight that typically you receive on Monday so you can go back and get them. But here's some questions, husbands. These questions are redemptive questions that point us to more and more love our wives as Christ loved the church. Do I faithfully pray for my wife that Jesus Christ might be glorified in her and that she might know his love and grace? Do I love my wife enough to confront and correct her sin, especially recurrent patterns of sin, and then patiently and consistently lead her into fruitful and liberating repentance? Do I wash my wife with the water of God's word, or do I compromise her growth in godliness because my pride, selfishness, or fear keeps me from this God-given responsibility? Do I lead my wife into active involvement and service in our local church? Do I constantly remind my wife of the gospel of grace and of God's active goodness on our behalf? As I have been in this text, and particularly as I read these questions, I considered and I prayed about the effects of this sermon, about the effects of this text this morning. And I landed on this, Lord, use this text, use questions like this to make us more amazed at you as husbands while feeling more desperate and dependent upon you for being a husband. And I think that's the best place to close on this morning. The text is very clear. Husbands, you have a holy duty God will hold you accountable for. uh, 1 Peter 3 says that if you do not take your duty seriously, he will not answer your prayers. I don't know what that looks like, but the point is this matters to God. If we do not live with our wives in an understanding way as co-heirs of Christ, it will hinder our prayers. That is how serious your marriage is to God. And so we are desperate. We are both dependent wholly on God and we are desperate. But here is the good news. Our role originates in the gospel, is empowered by the gospel and is perfected through the gospel. We can love and lead our wives because our Savior, Jesus Christ, loved us, gave himself up for us and leads us each day in mercy and grace. We don't start by looking in. We certainly don't start by looking outward. We don't start by looking inward. We begin, husbands, by looking upward. We lead and love our wives on our knees before the throne of God above. Listen, we need heavenly help for our holy duty. We have to have the Spirit of God at work in us. And that's exactly what we have. As a Christian husband, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. God stands by His promises to give us all things we need for life and godliness. And that includes your marriage. As we will see next week, He gives us wives. The perfect helpmaids who with their wisdom, love, and own obedience, help us grow in being the husbands God has called us to be. So don't leave here discouraged. Don't leave here overwhelmed. Leave here with a fresh sense of hope. Because wherever your marriage is, however you might feel stuck, The gospel has the final word. It speaks to your marriage. It is more powerful than your shortcomings. It is more powerful than your past failures. It is more powerful than your strongest sinful cravings and idols. And so you can leave here this morning. Husbands and future husbands knowing that there's hope because your role doesn't begin with the ring at the altar. It begins with the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross.